Welcome to Mill Creek Church in Belleville, Texas, where our worship service is in progress. Today, Pastor Monty Bird continues with his sermon series on the book of Romans. And now, Pastor Bird. Join me in prayer, please. Father, as we approach your word this morning, I just pray that you'd continue to speak to us through the book of Romans, that we would embrace it and rest upon it and use it in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, turn with me to Romans chapter 9 as we continue not only our study of the book of Romans, but also of the ninth chapter. And our verse is verse 23, but I'm going to read 22 through 24 to give us the proper context. What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction, that He might make known the riches of His glory on the vessels of mercy, which He had prepared beforehand for glory, even us whom He called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles." And as I preached last week, I pointed out that we are going to approach this in three sermons, one of which I've already preached, Vessels of Wrath, which I preached last week. Vessels of Mercy will be our topic this Sunday. And then the Sunday after we celebrate Easter, we'll put it all together. And as I preached through Vessels of Wrath last week, I quoted Romans 5, verse 12, which reads, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and thus death spread to all men, because all sinned. And as I read that verse, I pointed out that Adam, of course, naturally, as we know the story, that Adam introduced sin to mankind, and he is mankind's federal representative. In other words, Adam represented all of mankind when Adam chose sin. And we don't need to kid ourselves and say, well, if that was me, if I would have been Adam, I would not have done that. That's not the case. Because just as Adam is the federal representative, he represents all humanity. All of us, and if we were really honest with ourselves, all of us in the exact same situation would have done the exact same thing. Adam ushered in death. He represented all of us. And the reason why mankind chooses sin is because mankind loves darkness. And in fact, in John chapter 3, verse 18, it reads, He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. And this is the condemnation, that light has come into the world and men loved darkness rather than light, because their deeds were evil. 
Mankind loves darkness. They love being in the dark. They enjoy their sin. Paul also identifies the total depravity of man as he wrote the third chapter of Romans. In verse 10, he writes, As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all turned aside. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. But not only is man's acts sinful, as Paul points out, that no one seeks righteousness, that no one seeks God, Mankind's mind is permeated with darkness and sin. Romans 8 verse 7, Paul wrote, Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. For it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. In other words, man's mind cannot be rehabilitated. And in fact, you can only look at what's going on in the world today in all of the institutions that have been built over the last couple of centuries to attempt to rehabilitate man's mind, to make mankind better. Prisons are full of people who point to the depravity of man because they will go into a prison and society will attempt to rehabilitate them and they come out only to find themselves again committing crime time and time again. And society has created all of these institutions, not only in the prison system, but also if we think about the education system. If Society says if men would just become better educated, that they'd be better people. If we could just educate people, that the problem of society is education. But yet we see some of the most educated people commit some of the most egregious sins and crimes. Mankind says it's not an education problem, it's a money problem. If we would just give people money, if they could just have a certain standard of living, and you may have noticed that in the press here over the last five or six years, society has said there just needs to be a universal basic income. If we could just give people enough money to where their needs are met, that then they would not commit crime. But... Ever since the 1960s, we have been doling out money to mankind to try to lift them out of poverty. If we'll just write somebody a check, that it's going to make them a better person. But yet we find people in those situations commit crime time and time again. Mankind is depraved. Therefore, as we learned last week, They are vessels of wrath who do not know the Lord. Vessels of wrath. Now, when we think about that, vessels of wrath, what does that imply? That implies that they will receive the wrath of God. And in fact, if you turn to the 19th chapter of Revelation and look at verse 11, 
John is recording what he saw in receiving the revelation of God. And in Revelation 19, 11, it reads, Now I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire, and on his head were many crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, followed him on white horses. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations. And he himself will rule them with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. My friends, Jesus Christ not only came to save us, but he will come back again and he will rule with a rod of iron and he will dispense the wrath of God upon sinful mankind and upon the vessels of wrath. This is what the Bible says, that you're either in one of two camps. You're either a vessel of wrath or you are a vessel of mercy. And this shouldn't surprise us because all throughout the Bible, lost and saved are described as... Either one of two ways. You see wheat and tares. You see sheep and goats. And here you see vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. And so we preached through vessels of wrath last week. And one thing that I want to point out is when you look at vessels of wrath, and I pointed this out in the sermon, if you look back at our focal passage, It doesn't say who produces the vessels of wrath. And as Martin Lloyd-Jones pointed out in his sermon on this particular topic, mankind creates themselves in sin. They choose sin. Therefore, in choosing sin, they choose wrath. They're born into it. They love it. And they stay in it. But vessels of mercy are different. They're not created by their own power. And that's an extremely important point as I preach through our message in our verse today. So let's go back to our focal passage. What if God, wanting to show His wrath and to make His power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Vessels of wrath prepared for destruction. Mankind creates himself as a vessel of wrath. They choose sin. Verse 23, And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy. Now we got to the second group, vessels of mercy. But look at how it describes vessels of mercy which he had prepared beforehand for glory. Even us whom he called, not of the Jews only, but also of the Gentiles. And here is the huge difference between the two groups. Vessels of wrath, mankind chooses sin. 
Vessels of mercy. God prepares the vessels of mercy beforehand. Now this begs a question. Does God go to work in preparing vessels of mercy when someone declares their faith in Christ? No. That wouldn't be grace, would it? If you think about it. Because the Arminian view of salvation is is that we've got just a little enough righteousness in us to choose God. And so the Arminian view is you take that step forward. But that's not grace, is it? Grace is unmerited favor. In other words, there's nothing. There's nothing in me. Vessels of wrath are depraved. Mankind loves sin. There's nothing that would allow me to step forward and move towards God. That wouldn't be grace. It would be works. It would be me sitting there saying, oh my goodness, I've just come to this recognition of who God is. And so that would be works and merit if I had just enough to step forward. And unfortunately, in the Arminian view, which is the pervasive view in Christianity today, it's changing. But the pervasive view is, is that you've stepped forward. And as I will eventually get to this idea that God has chosen us before the foundation of the world, the Arminian view is, is that God looks down the hallway of time and he knew that in 1976 that I was going to step forward towards God. And so therefore he chose me. That's nowhere in Scripture. That's nowhere in Scripture. But oh, can't we feel good about ourselves if we believe that? That, that we just recognized who God is. So we stepped forward and then God started working with us. Nowhere in Scripture. It's not grace. It's merit. It's works. When does the Bible say that the vessels of mercy were created beforehand? So it wasn't the day before. It wasn't the week before. No, it was before the foundation of the world. And I want to read you some verses in that regard. Ephesians 1 verse 4, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Matthew 25 verse 31, when the son of man comes in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then he will sit on the throne of his glory and all the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate them one from another. There we go, two groups again. Separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats and he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left and the king will say to those on his right hand, come. You blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you took me in and I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Revelation seventeen eight. 
The beast that you saw was and is not and will ascend out of the bottomless pit and go to perdition. And those who dwell on the earth will marvel whose names are not written in the book of life from the foundation of the world when they see the beast was and is not and yet is. Now, let me ask you. Got two groups. Vessels of wrath. Vessels of mercy. What's the difference? There's only one difference between vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy, and that difference is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. It's not righteousness that we've done. It's not merit. It's not logic. It's not being in the right place at the right time. It's not coincidence. It's not your mom and dad. It's not your upbringing. It's not the country that you were born in. It is Jesus Christ. It's the only difference. It's the only difference between vessels of wrath and vessels of mercy. And when did he prepare those vessels of mercy? Before the foundation of the world. Now, let me ask you a series of questions. I'm assuming because you're here this morning that you identify with being a vessel of mercy. That you have recognized Jesus Christ. That Christ is your Lord and Savior. Now, The scripture tells us that we were chosen before the foundation of the world. Now let me ask you something. What were you doing before the foundation of the world? Nothing, right? Nothing. You were absolutely doing nothing. I was doing nothing. In other words, I have no claim on merit, do I? You have no claim on merit. You have no claim on righteousness. You have nothing. It reminds me of that wonderful song. Nothing in my hand I bring. Nothing but the cross I cling. There's absolutely nothing that I can claim as my own when I stand before a holy and righteous God. It's only Jesus Christ. In fact, if you think about it, just the title itself, Vessels of Mercy, Vessels of Mercy, what does that imply? If you think about a title, what does that imply? It implies that you need mercy, doesn't it? It implies that you need Christ in your life, that you're not adequate If you need mercy, think about this. If you need mercy, what you are saying is is that you are not adequate to stand before God. You're not adequate to plead your case to escape the wrath of God. But doesn't that identify us? That we stand collectively together as a church as a people, and we recognize that we are not adequate, that we're not sufficient, and that we need Christ. 
vessels of mercy. And I think that unfortunately, because the Arminian view is the wrong view, it's not the scriptural view, but as the Arminian view, unfortunately, is the pervasive view in Christianity, what we find today is that a lot of people come together and they get together at church and the world around them is falling apart and they're back there and they're patting themselves on the back and they're saying, boy, I chose right. I chose right. But in actuality, I didn't choose, nor did you choose anything at all. God chose you. God chose you. If it wasn't for God selecting us before the beginning of time, we would just be in the vessels of wrath category because the only difference is is that God in his mercy, despite our sinfulness, he chose us. He chose us. And he wrote our name down in the book of life before the foundation of the world. You cannot claim merit. You cannot claim merit. And in fact, you just have to look a little bit before in Romans 9, before our focal verse, on a verse that I've already read and preached through that reiterates this point. Romans 9, 14. What shall we say then? Is there unrighteousness with God? Certainly not. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whomever I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whomever I will have compassion. So then... It is not of him who wills, nor of him who runs, but of God who shows mercy. In other words, there's no merit to it. There's no merit to it. But yet mankind is trying to find, apart from Christ, some way that they will find themselves acceptable. And in fact, you and I could go out today and we could go door knocking, as I've used this illustration many times before, and we could look at the people answering the door and we could say, today if you died and you stood before a righteous God, what would you say to get into his heaven? And invariably, people would say, I have not stolen anything, nor have I killed anyone. That's a really high bar, isn't it? See, Mankind is always trying to develop a system to where they can find acceptability just in case there's a God. Just in case there's a God. But for people that have come to know Jesus Christ, we have to recognize that it isn't us who wills nor of us who run. Has nothing to do with that. Has nothing to do with that. It's God. And you have seen it from the beginning of time. Let me give you a great example. You got Adam and Eve. Adam chooses sin. They get kicked out of the garden. So now let's, one generation, one generation. I'm going to mention two guys that we know very well of. Cain and Abel. One generation removed of being in paradise. What happens? One son picks God. 
one son picks sin. Does that make sense? If you think that if you want to rest on the fact that it's your environment, that here you go, Adam and Eve, one generation removed, logic would tell you, right? If you're a logical person, that both of these guys should love God. They were right there. But one generation removed, you even have God counseling Cain in saying sin lies at the door for you. And he still will not listen to God. Vessels of wrath, vessels of mercy, God chooses, we don't choose. We participate, but God chooses. God chooses, and it's only in his mercy, it's only in his mercy, we do not deserve anything. It's only through God. Titus 3, 5. In fact, let's read 4 through 7. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done. I love this verse. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to what? According to his mercy he saved us. Through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs to the hope of eternal life. Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Now, let's think about this. So let's say today you say, I agree with all of that. I agree as a believer that I don't bring anything in my hand. I can't plead my case. But only through His grace and only through His mercy does He save me. If you believe that this morning, if that is your premise, if that is your worldview, how should that affect the rest of your life? Because I would argue that that belief alone of recognizing that we are utterly hopeless and it's only through the power of God that we even find ourselves here this morning. I believe that should change everything in the way we look at life. First of all, we should have a joy of salvation that is unbelievable. As we think about this whole world will eventually be burnt up, everything from a material standpoint will be gone. And we will find ourselves eternally in the presence of God. Shouldn't that have kind of a joyful effect on us? In fact, if you really think about it, it's quite humbling, isn't it? Because, first of all, it's something that you and I can't truly comprehend. We truly cannot comprehend that. That he chose us. In fact, the Bible says that he chose us and while that we were still sinners, right? He chose us. We didn't choose him. 
We didn't choose him. He chose us. And in choosing us, don't we owe him everything? We owe him every single thing. But how many times in this cheap theological world that we live in, that people have determined that they get to pick what and when and how they will give things to God, right? That you'll bless God with your presence during worship hour. But if something else comes up, it's okay. Who's God? In that environment, who's God? When you are making all of the decisions on what you are going to do regarding your faith, who's God? See, that's not accurate. It's not scriptural. Because we've been redeemed. The Bible says that we've been transformed from being slaves to sin to slaves to righteousness. We're in his kingdom. We're under his throne. We are under his power. And it should affect the way that we look at our own personal life. Yeah, we could get together and we could talk about how bad things are and things are incredibly bad. I will give you that. But my friends, the victory has been won. It's been won. And it should permeate our entire life. It should consume our life. We should be students of the word. We should be faithful in our prayer life. We should be lifting one another up. We should be in Christian community. And I firmly believe this. There is absolutely nothing more important when you think about how you're going to divvy up your time, right? And we all make those choices, correct? We make choices. I mean, think about it this way. When you get home at night, you make a choice. Am I going to watch TV? Am I going to go out? Am I going to work in the yard? We do that every second of the day. You make choices. But if you recognize that you're in the grace of God and you're going to dwell with God eternally, it should affect the choices that you make. And unfortunately, church, church is way down on the list, isn't it? We've seen a dramatic change over the last 40 or 50 years in how people view church life. That there's not an ownership of the church. That there's not a binding of the saints together. It's just something that you come and you do individually for an hour, and then you get to go home. And the view is, is that God smiles on you, And then you got the rest of the week to do whatever you want to do. That's not being in God's kingdom. See, we have to recognize that we're vessels of mercy, that we are in God's kingdom only because he chose us. And it reminds me in Revelation 4, verse 9, when it reads, Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders, this is the church, 24 elders fall down before him, who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created." 
Why do we cast our crowns at the feet of Christ? It's only because we recognize that we bring absolutely nothing to the table at all. And we're willing to take those crowns off that we receive by being followers of Christ. And we're saying, I don't deserve this. It's only Christ. Because we're vessels of mercy. And being a vessel of mercy, we need to recognize that our life, our attitude, our time, our possessions, everything should be under His subjection and rule because He chose us when we did not deserve to be chosen. Join me in prayer, please. Father, we just thank You, Lord, for Your grace. We thank You for Your mercy. And I pray, Lord, as we are in Holy Week this week, that we would recognize that we didn't pick, we didn't make the right decision, we can't claim anything. All we can rest on is your grace and your mercy. And I pray, Lord, that we would extol and proclaim the good news of your gospel. I pray, Lord, that we might recognize and live our life according to this wonderful truth and joy that you saved us in spite of us. And you invited us into your kingdom. And you share with us your inheritance only because you loved us. I pray, Lord, that if there's someone here who does not know your truth, or if there's someone listening in on sermon audio who has never given their life to you, that they might recognize you as Savior and Lord today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining us as Pastor Bird continues this sermon series. If you wish to hear more, you may find him at millcreekchurch.org or go to sermonaudio.com slash millcreekchurch. Prayer requests may also be left at millcreekchurch.org. Our church services are as follows. Sunday morning Bible study is at 9 a.m., followed by our worship service at 10 a.m. We have Wednesday night prayer meeting and Bible study, and they are at 6.30 p.m. For more information and our mission statement, please visit our website, millcreekchurch.org.